My name is Julian Chambliss. I'm a professor of English and core faculty in the Consortium for Critical Diversity and the Digital Age Research, CEDAR, at Michigan State University. And I'll be your host for this episode of Every Tongue's Got to Confess. The purpose of this podcast series is to explore the experiences and stories of communities of color by listening to the voices of attendees at the 2019 Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. During the festival, Holly Baker talked with award-winning author, poet, and activist Alice Walker at City Hall in Eatonville. Walker was a speaker at the first festival, and she returned for the 30th anniversary. Have a listen to their conversation. Could you please introduce yourself for the audience of the podcast of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities? It's called Every Tongue Got to Confess. It's our fourth year of the podcast, and it's just an honor to be able to include you in this season. Well, I am Alice Walker, and I'm very happy to be here. I haven't yet gone out to see the festival, but I'm looking forward to it. You were the speaker at the first Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities 30 years ago, and now you're back again this year. Could you tell me about your relationship with Zora Neale Hurston, and when did it start, and how did it come about? I was living in Mississippi, uh, and I was reading Their Eyes Were Watching God and just marveling at what a beautiful novel it is. Uh, and then I, I did a lot more research and discovered that she was virtually unknown. And in fact, when I was in college, I had read a book that had a lot of uh, stories and things by other people, and there was something by Zora, but I had just glossed over it. Uh, so after reading Their Eyes Were Watching God, I loved her. I loved her as a writer. I loved her spirit. And I set out to um, memorialize her. Um, and came and found her grave, or find, found a big hole in the cemetery that I assumed was her grave because I actually fell into it, uh, and marked it. Uh, and since that time, I have, uh, you know, I think I did a, a couple of things. You know, one of them was a, an anthology of her work because it's so precious. You had a major role in bringing Zora Neale Hurston out of obscurity in the 1970s with your 1975 article in Miss Magazine called In Search of Zora Neale Hurston. What led you to decide to write that article, and was there any particular reason why it was Miss Magazine that you chose? I was an editor at Miss Magazine at the time, and I was very interested in presenting some of the really incredible writers, especially African women writers, to the magazine, but also uh, people like Zora. I mean, not that there's anybody else like Zora, but her story was perfect for Ms. because, you know, hundreds and thousands and maybe a couple of million or more readers, and they would be interested uh, in such a pioneering spirit. They, They were women who were very alive themselves, and they wanted to read about other women who had spirit and spunk and craziness, yeah. How has people's knowledge of Hurston and of Eatonville evolved over time? Well, they have become acquainted with her, and many, many, many of them adore her. Uh, And it's not, it's partly uh, her skill at, at writing and conveying a whole world that most people didn't realize existed, but it has to do with 
her encouragement to all of us to be more curious and more adventuresome and more real and more, uh, you know, dedicated to staying who we, we are intrinsically, you know, the, the decency, the kindness, uh, the spunkiness, the funniness. She's a great encourager of human qualities that are often disparaged or ignored. Why do you think that, that so many people feel such a connection with Zora Neale Hurston and her writings? Many people in the early years of her career, which of course I wasn't born, but they didn't like what she wrote. And I think that the people who do have a greatest sense of their own uh, integrity, you know, that, that, oh, this is a woman who understands integrity. She understands what it means to really be yourself and to really have your own way and your own path. So I think, you know, people like that uh, really do respond to her. But many people have had, you know, over time have had a lot of difficulty. People, for example, in the African-American community who have felt embarrassed, who felt ashamed of, you know, something, some facility like speech, you know, the average American speech, which in Zora's opinion lacked a lot. It didn't have a lot of, you know, funniness and color. But then there are people who think that the correct way to speak, the more correctly you can speak, the better. Uh, and of course that's fine, but if it kills off the inner spirit that could be expressed, uh, you know, more colloquially, then uh, it it's sometimes can be harmful, actually. And people can actually use language as a weapon. I think any literature can only give you, you know, what you are prepared to absorb. For instance, if you read the Iliad or something uh, before you have any clue about some of the depths of you know, human interactions. It might just roll off. But I think for many people, uh, they, they have been prepared in a way to understand what they're about to experience with Zora. Uh, and that makes a lot of difference. I, you know, I, and I think that in that sense, the fact that there has been a movement, you know, not just my work, but also, for instance, Valerie Boyd's uh, biography, Wrapped in Rainbows, these things make a difference because they prepare people for what they are about to experience, and it helps them see that they needn't be afraid of it. I, my poetry teacher in, at Sarah Lawrence used to say that, that people fear poetry, and it's true, and they fear actual literature. They, they have a real terror that they won't understand it, that it'll be beyond them. Uh, that it's too complicated, you know, and this is very true in this period when many young people don't read very much. Uh, but, you know, for people who read and who are really prepared to absorb what they're getting, uh, I, I think they, I think they're okay, you know, I think they enjoy it. And I think the, the kind of nutritional, the spiritual nutritional value of her work is absorbed by many people, and it has a definite liberating effect. I wonder, what do you think is the legacy of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities? This is a reminder of people that they impoverish themselves when they deny their artists. That artists are, are really like messengers from, from the, the other world, you know, from the unseen often, uh, whose function is to help you 
you know, see where you are in this world and to, to be more prepared to, to handle whatever might occur. Literature is, is not, you know, it's, people think of it as just something that's extraneous to life, but actually it's central. And she really understood that, and she understood that one of the magic elements of creativity for a writer is that he or she can bring back to life, back into life, so much that people thought was lost. If you lose your medicine, which literature and music, those things are medicine, if you lose them, you can't help but become sicker. Speaking of uh, medicine, uh, Zora Neale Hurston's 1927 book, Barracoon, um, The Story of the Last Black Cargo, it was finally published in 2018, and you wrote the foreword in that book. And um, in the foreword, you described the book, Barracoon, as medicine. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you uh, would mind reading an excerpt of your foreword? Here is the medicine, that though the heart is breaking, Happiness can exist in a moment also. And because the moment in which we live is all the time there really is, we can keep going. It may be true, and often is, that every person we hold dear is taken from us. Still, from moment to moment, we watch our beans and our watermelons grow. We plant, we hoe, we harvest we share with neighbors. If a young anthropologist appears with two hams and gives us one, we look forward to enjoying it. Life inexhaustible goes on, and we do too, carrying our wounds and our medicines as we go. Ours is an amazing, a spectacular journey in the Americas. It is so remarkable, one can only be thankful for it, bizarre as that may sound. Perhaps our planet is for learning to appreciate the extraordinary wonder of life that surrounds even our suffering, and to say yes, if through the thickest of tears. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, you wrote the foreword to this amazing book, and everyone's talking about it still. Um, what do you think is the legacy of the Barracoon book? Oh, I think it's to remind us that we're just human beings, that we have our evils and our goods and our, you know, uh, and that people often are just, as my mother used to say, they're doing the best they know how. And I think this book calls on all of us to develop, if we don't have it already, a certain pretty extraordinary degree of acceptance of the reality of the human condition. That we um, do things to each other, we cause suffering to others, we hurt ourselves a lot. Uh, and we, you know, we, we need to do a lot of what Kujo uh, Lewis does at the end of his life, which is to find a place of sanctuary where we can be with our own thoughts and we can think about uh, the kind of life we really would prefer to live, not so much for other people as for our own spirit. And, and, and basically out of gratitude for whatever it is that you, you do have. You know, we, we don't have so much, 
but we do have so much too. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today and for um, taking part in this podcast of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. It's been um, a dream come true to meet you and speak with you in person. So I thank you and I honor you and I just appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Every Tongue's Got to Confess podcast, the official podcast of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of Arts and Humanities. Holly Baker and I produce this podcast with assistance from the University of Central Florida, the Association to Preserve Edenville Community, and Michigan State University. Be sure to find the rest of the episodes by searching for us online and subscribing to the podcast. See you next time. Thank you.